Welcome to the Orville City Council meeting of August 3rd, 2021, where we are reconvening from closed session, where direction was given and no action was taken. Will you stand with me for the Pledge of Allegiance? Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands. Looking for a motion to adopt the agenda. So moved. Second. Motion carries with seven yeses and zero noes. At this time, we're going to open the meeting up for public communications. This is your opportunity to speak on non-agenda items. Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers? We do, uh, Mayor Reynolds. We have six speakers. Our first speaker is Gary Norwood. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm here to adjust the City Council once again uh, to try to start a negotiation process for the, for the uh, U County Pioneer Museum. Uh, used to belong to the Native Sons, was given to the city. Uh, um, we feel like we're in a better position to maintain that and operate it efficiently. Uh, in our organization, we now have have six, excuse me, five other museums, so it's not like we're not familiar with the museum process. Right? Um, I don't want to point fingers, but the, the museum has lacked, has not been uh, well serviced over the last couple of years. COVID have been a part of it. I understand that, um, but even before that, it wasn't. Um, we have plans to put in a complete ADA access, right? Um, so, which means an elevator to the basement, right? Uh, we also want to put a 20-foot extension on it. Um, that lot that's between there and the the, the um, veterans hall is actually part of the museum's property property. Right, so we'll encroach about 15, 20 feet out from where the building is now to put a second floor in there to expand it uh, so we can bring in new and fresh product, which will attract people. Uh, we want to open it back up to the schools so we get the schools in there so the children get to know our history. Um, so I, I, that's, I'm almost out of time. Um, so what I'm requesting, I think, is uh, to be able to, with the city council's approval, to enter back into a negotiation process with the, um, the city manager and, and the city city attorney. Uh, that's where we left off last year, if you're, or been five years now, six years. It's been six years now. It's been a while. Um, but with everything that's going on in today's world, we just feel like we're in a better position to, to maintain that maintain that property. And Mr. Norwood, are you looking for an opportunity to present? Uh, your situation, sir? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who was your letter addressed to? Okay. Okay. 
Mr. Mayor, I think uh, kind of where we're at at this right now is uh, before we get too far ahead of ourselves here, we need to get this curator um, museum coordinator person position settled so that we have somebody that can adequately advise us on to what all of our options are. Um, I am very much interested in the um, Pioneer Museum and potentially entering into some sort of deal with the Native Sons. Um, I would just be much more comfortable if I had a, what I would like to consider a technical advisor for museums before I start trying to have some sort of negotiation about something I'm really not all that familiar with. Um, so if we could you know, give ourselves a little bit of room, it's going to take us probably through the rest of the summer and fall to get that resolved and then have a conversation with the Native Sons you know, probably somewhere late fall, uh, beginning of the year, so we can work through this, Gary. I'm sure we can work that out. Thank you. Mr. Norwood, your time's up, sir, and I appreciate that, but I'm sure we'll be able to work that out. Yes, sir. Our next speaker is Amy Jernigan and then Steve Terry. Amy Jernigan, tonight I'm wearing my hat as the Butte County Fair Board President. And to remind everybody that it is August, which means it's Butte County Fair Month, and our fair is going to be open this year. I'm so excited. August 26th through the 29th on Thursday, opening day of the fair, in the evening we are having our director's reception, which you all are invited. I wanted to show up tonight to personally invite you. I have an invitation for you. Um, I also have the flyer on the fair. Thursday is also Miss Butte County, followed by Friday being Tough Truck. Saturday is the Junior Livestock Auction and the, um, oh, what is it, the, the Demolition Derby. So really excited. We're hopeful of a good fair. We're hopeful of decent weather and no smoke and all the, the fun and thrills and corn dogs. So love to see you guys. I'm going to leave these with Jackie. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Call me, text me, email me. Hit me, I don't care. Steve Terry and then Bill Spear. Good evening, Council. Just to follow up on something, um, last meeting, after the meeting, I was speaking with council, some council members, and one of the things that's been spoken about this, uh, the CAL FIRE thing, is that all the firefighters are in favor of this. So I just thought I'd give you an update. As of the last two weeks, we've lost three. They've gone to other agencies, not CAL FIRE. And we have three more that are applying out, applying with Sac City. <coughs> so if everyone likes it, why are they leaving? Just food for thought. Bill Spear and then David Kinn. Mr. Mayor, Vice Mayor, City Council, um, I'd like to come pray for you all this evening and um, a comment is um, just got a chance to check out the um, Rescue Missions um, Resource Center, pretty awesome place and um, for our city, um, Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing and I pray for uh, our city council, we pray for wisdom, 
or as they tackle these um, tough issues, that you would um, give them that supernatural wisdom. We thank you for all the, the people that serve um, the public, our police, our firefighters. Um, we, um, we lift up the, the rescue mission to you and their new um, facility, and Lord, we, um, we thank you for all the people that are going to serve, and we pray that it would prosper. We lift up Caring for Women, another wonderful organization that's in our city, and, and we pray that you would continue to, to bless them and to use them to, um, to minister to, to mothers and, and protect children, and, and we thank you for, for what you're doing there. We continue to lift up the Hope Center to you and the vital service they provide for um, for our community and Haven of Hope on Wills and all the all of the recovery homes and all the the churches that are that are serving and just pray that you would bless them all, Lord, all those that lay down their lives. It says it's more blessed to give than to receive, and so we just pray your blessings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our next speaker is David Kinn and then Kay Castro. Good evening, Mayor, Council. My name is David Keen, Operations Manager here at California Water Service in Orville, and I'm here to let you know that we've applied for our 2022 through 2024 general rate case application to the Public Utilities Commission. And what that is is every three years we go to the PUC and we tell them the projects and maintenance activities we want to do for the upcoming three years and how much that will cost. What they do is they review the projects, they get into the weeds, and there's a back and forth. Eventually a set of projects and rates is determined. So we are at the start of that process. Um, one thing I wanted to point out is that the correspondence that you received is a prescribed letter that the PUC wants us to send out to all interested parties. It has the proposed increase in revenue as 10.5%, but I wanted to clarify that the average Oroville customer bill will only go up 1.3%. Now, there is a difference there between revenue and the average customer bill, including rate-making consolidation with Chico and several other things. It is a very in-depth, long process. So I wanted to let you know that there is a difference there between revenue and average increase to customer bill, and then offer also to come back and give a full presentation on the specifics and an agendized item. And I do plan to stick around, so for anybody here, if you have questions, I plan to stick around for the rest of the meeting. Thank you. Kay Castro and then Tanif Riesinger. Good evening. I frequently hear that emotion has no place in decisions and politics. I think our country was founded on emotions. Our city mothers and fathers certainly came here with emotions of hope, opportunity for financial success, bringing the emotions of joy, security, and happiness to their families. I believe there is a crucial place for emotion in our decisions and politics. It's that zeal that gives us the energy to jump up here and speak to all of you at the podium. Where emotion goes awry is when it becomes personal. That's why I'm here tonight to champion our city charter. When you read it, I think you'll find it chock full of emotions and visions for our city. I don't think you'll see much, if any, directed to anyone personally let alone us, 
hundred some odd years later standing here today. I'm here to ask you please to provide an easily accessible version on the city's website. It is there if you hunt for it. It's broken up by articles. I'd love to see a one push button city charter and you get the whole document. I'd also like to see hard copies available at City Hall. Many in our community are not computer savvy, do not have printers at home, do are used to reading a piece of paper, highlighting, writing things, asking questions. I'd love to see um, a hard copy available for the citizens of Oroville. Thank you. Tanif Riesinger, and then our last speaker is Bobby O'Reilly. Um, I've been here last, this is the, now the third um, council meeting I've been to. I'm new to Oroville. I don't know if I mentioned that before. I've only been here about less than two years. And I um, have a desire to kind of address some issues. And it's not just one part of the city. It's all over the city. I've been in South Oroville. I've been in... Thermalito, I've been in Kelly Ridge, I've been downtown, I've been down where I live. And it's a problem that's all over town, I've mentioned it before. But I have have been put in touch with a gentleman, Mr. Goyer, who did contact me, but it seems like he doesn't really know what to do either or doesn't have the wherewithal to kind of bring things together to kind of address this issue. I had some issues... Um, with a couple Orville PD officers that I don't think they maybe, or maybe there's a miscommunication of the issues that needed to be addressed at that time um, regarding uh, trespass orders. And so I'm here to ask the council uh, again if I could be put in contact with somebody to actually sit down with them or um, something to kind of work on this. I'm going to be sending you all an email. It'll be like a form email. Each one of you will get the same email. That way I'll introduce myself, you know a little bit more about me. But I'm hoping that um, each one of you would be able to address this issue in some small way to get back with me. I would appreciate it. And um, Thank you, sir. Our last speaker is Bobby O'Reilly. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> Very good. Coming to you live from Daytona Beach, Florida. Welcome all. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to our seven council members. Loving it out here in Florida. I'd like the council to recognize that the precedence has been set tonight, that individuals have gone a minute and a half over their time before cut off, so I would like to do the same. What I'd like to address tonight is the fact that I would like to address cordialness, um, uh, so to speak. 
just so that the public and the record and the council members who are not aware are aware and become aware we have some who are our elected officials who like to take it upon themselves to contact employers um, as well as individuals who are overseers of individuals that oppose or show publicly that they oppose uh, decisions made by the elected officials. I'll tell you right now that I campaigned and ran with Chuck Reynolds, Eric Smith, David Pittman, and myself, and I did so because we all shared the same values. We shared the same heartstrings. We shared the same wants for our community to build, to grow, to bring in things to our community mainly for our children to have something in our community after us. And just because we may disagree on something doesn't mean that we should go to the extent to try to gain leverage to silence the individual. I'm about to be cut off. I'd like to be extended one and a half minutes, please. Jackie. Time's up. Am I still am I still here? Time's up, Mr. Mayor. If I might respond to that request for the extra minute and a half, the the reason no one got extra time. No one got extra time. I asked him a question. I was just going to clarify. There were questions that were that council members had of that individual, and he responded to those questions. He was not given extra time to speak. No one is given extra time to speak. Appreciate that. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. That is the last of the public speakers for non-agenda items. Okay, looking for a motion to adopt the consent calendar. Mr. Mayor, if I could, I would request that we uh, pull item number seven. Looking for a motion to adopt the consent calendar, pulling item number seven. So moved. Second. Motion carries with seven yeses and zero noes. Mr. Legrone, you pulled item number seven from the consent calendar. Do you wish to speak on that item? Yes, sir, Mr. Mayor. Uh, staff recommends that Councilman Hatley recuse himself from this item because of the proximity of his home. Nothing further, Mr. Mayor. What's that? Nothing further. Nothing further. Does anyone have any comments on this item? No comments from the public? Mr. Mayor, there are no public speaker cards for this item. Looking for a motion to adopt resolution number 8980 and 8981. I move that we adopt the resolution number 8980 and 8981. No second. Motion carries with six yeses and one recusal. Items. Staff requests that we move to item number 14 on the agenda. Skipping ahead to item number 14 and regular business request for designation of voting delegate and alternates for League of California Cities annual conference. I would be interested in 
going to this conference and being the voting member. Is there anyone who would like to go with me? I'd like to go as an alternate, as the League of California Cities is one of my appointments. Anyone else? Looking for a motion to accept uh, Mayor Reynolds and Councilmember Riggs will represent uh, City of Orville in the League of Cities. Second. Motion carries with seven yeses and zero noes. Moving on to item number 15, potential charter amendments. Good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council. What you have before you is a return on a request from a council person from last uh, council meeting requesting that a discussion be began by the council regarding potential charter amendments or changes to our current charter. Some of the things that staff has heard over the uh, past several years that the community and council members would like to have changed is the elimination of a treasurer, uh, the change of the oversight from a city administrator to a city manager, and the to eliminate um, the need for a meeting at 8 p.m. Um, on the first meeting in January after an election. Um, I'm sure when the charter was written, there was a very good reason for that. Um, not really sure what those reasons are that surround that. Staff's role in this is to facilitate the process. Um, council's role would be to say what things they would like to have changed. You have several different things that you can do in, um, with this particular item. You can do one, nothing. Um, two, you could establish an ad hoc committee that would come back to the council with a recommendation. Or you could schedule a meeting that is specific to this, and we could go over each one of the sections of the charter, um, get a, uh, feedback from the council on what you would like to see changed, and then have our legal counsel uh, formulate those changes so that we can take those to the voters of the city so that they can vote to either change the charter or to uh, amend the charter as necessary. Um, so what we're looking for tonight is how would you like to proceed? What would you like to do, um, if anything? Because the process would be identify what you want changed, have our legal counsel go through the charter, uh, identify all the affected parts by the change that you're requesting, and then bring it back to the council, which would then uh, work with staff uh, to get it put onto the ballot. We're um, a little bit under a time crunch at this time to make the ballot in next November because we have to get it to the clerk's office um, by certain dates and timelines. So we'd have to work quickly on this in order to reach those timelines. Once we do that, we would get it to them and then it would go to a vote of the people for implementation should they choose to uh, amend their charter. Councilmember Smith. Thank you. Um, with the time crunch, uh, some might be aware of the fact that we're going to have to revisit districting, and that's uh, pretty complex, especially for the register. Um, do you feel that we can achieve simultaneously both those uh, both those events or issues? Um, and then I would think we would keep that fairly streamlined. I'm not quite sure what that process looks like. If you seems to me, if you tackle too many um, items in the charter. Um, I don't know, you know, like A, B, C, D, sure. you know, it sounds like it could get pretty complicated real fast. And then with just, a, we're already on a time crunch, I think, 
with uh, the districting issue. So I'm just a little concerned about that. To answer your question on districting, we're fine on that. We have that uh, a timeline laid out for that. It won't be near as complex this time as it was last time because fortunately we got a trial run at it. Um, so we have a pretty good idea of what we're going to be doing this next go around. We'll, be, be, we'll begin that in either early <coughs> September or early October. It depends on what types of computer files our demographer can accept. The mm -hmm. census will be released uh, in mid-August in what's called FTP files. If our demographer can accept those types of files, then we can begin our districting process because we will have our census um, data numbers. If she cannot accept those, then we will have to wait until the end of September when we will get those numbers, so we will begin in October. It's important that we have that completed by no later. I believe it's June 11th. I have it written down in my office um, and on my Outlook calendar to make sure we meet those deadlines. So there'll be five public hearings for that particular issue um, that we have to go through as we redraw those districts and uh, reassess those districts. So that's under control. I think what we need to do with the charter is look at it and prioritize things. We need to look at, quite honestly, what are would be considered um, junk, useless items that are in the charter, like a baseball commission, something that just no longer exists anymore. I mean, so that may be something we go, that's an easy one that we just throw out there real quickly, just eliminate it um, and go to the people and get that done and cleaned up. I mean, go through those things. After the council identifies what things they would like to change, then the council should also set a priority of those things because you don't want to overwhelm the community and the public because it could become frustrating. You're looking at all of this as a voter and you just say, you know what? Um, this is getting this is suspicious, so I'm not doing anything. I mean, and that's what you could be up against. So we would have to establish a timeline and probably uh, put a few each election cycle on there until we did accomplish the total cleaning of the charter that we were hoping to do. If, if I can jump, yes, in. we can do it. Okay. Yeah, if I, if I can jump in, there's also there's a you have to hold at least two public hearings on any charter amendment. It it actually is similar to uh, if you recall the process that was put in place for um, for the sales tax increase, the proposed sales tax increase that was adopted by the voters. The process is almost identical to that. It's really you're, what you're asking the, the 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 voters to do is do they want to amend the charter? In a similar fashion where you ask them, do you want to pass this, this tax proposal? It's a similar process with the subject matter being different, where before you were asking them about a tax measure, now you're asking them about the charter. It's a very similar process. You have to have at least two public hearings. You've got to have language drafted and, and, and all, you know, all, of those, all of those things, but um, very similar process to... Uh, to the revenue measure. I guess just real quick, my concern would be if we layered too much, and I think you've already alluded to that, right. then some people might say, well, I'm good with one, two, and three, but four, ah, you're trying to sneak well, that I, in. Well, I think something. the first thing you need to do is you need to go through the charter and decide what you want to change. I mean, and then once you decide on that list, then you set a priority of what those are, then we have those public hearings. We can simultaneously do two to three things probably. I, wouldn't, I would not recommend doing more than three. I mean, and that's really... Um, moving quickly because I think people need time to digest what it is, study what it is, and make a, an informed decision. So um, first thing we need to do is have the council go through and decide which ones are you interested in changing. I know there is some interest in just setting it aside and getting a modern charter and starting over. Um, I'm not really sure we're going to be able to sell that one to the community. I mean, that's just, that would be very difficult. Um, so... 
but we do need to go through it, I think, and let the council decide which ones you want to change and prioritize those. Yeah, sounds like one of the first moves we need to make is, is make it accessible and very clear to the public right. so they can have input. Um, well, one of the things we can do on that, Mr. Mayor, is when you go to our website, is it says charter, and then it opens up and it gives Roman numerals one through twenty something, uh, but it doesn't say what is the Roman numeral. So if you're looking for the uh, fire chief, you have to click on each one until you find where it says fire chief. Yeah. So that you know, we can get with our uh, folks to do that, those. our codification <laughs> and things like that, and have them relabel that a little better so so it'll be a, a much easier to use and a lot more accessible and as far as hard copies of course we'll always provide a hard copy bill there's also a search bar yes there is a search bar yep. i mean the problem you run into that i've ran into with the search bar is if it's too wide you get everything i mean so you know you you know i think if we were able to just do that one little change where it identifies that section you'll be able to more easily move through there than search that part of it just uh anyway just a thought what, one of the pippins in the queue oh I mean, just on on that there is on the top there is a bar that has a bunch of of um keyword searches. keywords it says up previous next main mm -hmm. the next one says expand if you click on expand it will actually show you the title of each one right. in each subcategory it only took me, I think, nine years being the city attorney to figure that yes. out. <laughs> so what we'll do is we'll have that reconfigured so it automatically goes to the expand one so that that takes you there originally and you don't have to try to hunt around to find that. I think that will make it much more usable to our community. Councilmember Pittman, please. Yeah, thank you. I, it's certainly something that needs to be uh, looked at each year. or If we're going to maintain the document, we need to maintain it. I kind of like the idea of having at least two public hearings and splitting up, you know, half the charter at a time. Don't take the whole thing on as far as all the, all the articles, but maybe the first six articles or so, and then have a public meeting so we can give the public an opportunity to weigh in on those, you know, one to ten or whatever items we pick. Um, and then maybe staff in that first public meeting can have, you know, highlighted items where obviously we need to, make changes because they're outdated or whatever the case may be. So at least the public has a way in on it and then split it up so we don't look at the whole document at each meeting. Uh, I think it will be an easy way to uh, let the public have access to it and let us uh, look at it too because it is a big document and there's a lot of things in there that need to be brought up to date. And we could certainly do that, Councilman Pittman, split yeah. it in half and do the first half first. And, of right. course, these will all be public meetings so that anyone that is interested can come and um, provide their feedback to the council and as i read it it was first adopted by the state of california finally in 1938 i believe so there's things that need to be looked at i'm yeah, sure things have changed a little bit yeah, a little bit uh council member riggs thank you mayor reynolds um would you also in your updates on the website provide a downloadable pdf link for those that do want to print it as miss castro asked I think it's printable now. It's I think it's printable as a page, but not as like a downloadable. Okay. Yeah. As a, are you? Um, do you have to help me out with this? An entire document or yeah, a like section? A like okay. one PDF of all gotcha. of it. Yes, we can do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, sir. So, is it the consensus of this council that we would all meet and and go over the charter? 
to decide what is obsolete and then what we're going to bring forward to the public meet as a whole mm -hmm. yeah I mean, yes. if you would like, Mr. Mayor, we can schedule a special meeting for that so that this is the single item that you're here for um, to discuss just that. Okay. Councilmember Goodson, did you wish to speak? Um, no, I just agree. Oh, okay. Uh, do we have any public speakers on this item? Mr. Mayor, we have two public speakers. Our first speaker is Steve Terry, and then our second speaker is Bobby O'Reilly. Next speaker is Bobby O'Reilly. Hello, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right, thank you. So I, I'd like to say that uh, I definitely agree with Count, uh, Mr. Reynolds that we definitely need public input on the charter. The charter definitely needs uh, revised and rejuvenated. I have reviewed the charters and municipal codes for almost all of the cities I have visited across the United States this last week and a half. And I can tell you that we as a city are behind the time dramatically. Uh, some of these things that are in our charter and our, and our uh, city codes are well beyond the times and they need, need updated very badly. Um, also, uh, well, also, especially since we've already violated our own city charter, but also uh, our commissions. Right now, it seems the commissions, besides maybe the planning commission, uh, it seems the commissions such as the parks, the arts, the major committees, the uh, committees and commissions are all there to basically rough stamp already made um, agreements or decisions. And my understanding is that committees and commissions are put into place to oversee and to um, make recommendations prior to them going for a final. So I'd like to have a complete thorough review of the whole charter as well as a complete thorough review of the commissions and committees and fix the verbiage in those. Hopefully nobody's plugging their ears this time and just, uh, you know, as one of the three or four very vocal members of the community, I'd like to say thank you for your time. And as always, I am a voice for the community. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, that was the last speaker on this item. I'll uh, comment to that since we have a, a council member who's um, on the parks. It was on the parks. Was on the parks. Um, actually, Article 10 of the city charter covers parks, and, and the Parks Commission has a lot more authority than they've been exercising. So I uh, really encourage people to study. There's only 31 articles in the charter. It's, it's may I ask surprising. No, you may not, sir. It's not a conversation. Sir, you... you Councilmember Council Riggs wishes to speak. Yeah, um, as the former chairperson of the Parks Commission, I would have to agree with Mr. O'Reilly that um, it has felt like very much a rubber stamp and they're limited in their ability to be um, real advocates for the parks. And so I, although the commission does have power and authority, it's also to the interpretation by staff on how that gets implemented. Um, 
And there has been, you know, staffing issues in the past that are being resolved or have been resolved. However, um, I do believe that there is some validity in the speed bumps that those commissions experience. And I'd like to see that addressed and resolved so that the people, those that are passionate about arts or the parks or the planning for our community are accurately re represented and accurately equipped to represent those passions. I would invite everybody to the parks meeting that's coming up. I mean, I think Mr. Huber will be there to give a presentation um, or at the at some point the the role of the parks commission has been defined um it's we've went over this and we seem to come back to this every few years um mm -hmm. so there's been a legal interpretation of what is the um, role of the parks commission i think that will help everybody to understand exactly what those parameters are um, from mr huber's uh prior legal advice that we've received on this so i would invite everybody to attend and you know see that so they know exactly you know kind of where we're working from yes and i do appreciate the legal standpoint from it i think that the tangible tasks um would be more beneficial in being able to understand those and that being a part of the onboarding process for a new commissioner thank you thank you um so we have the consensus of this council to we will set a meeting for the council to meet over discussing the charter with staff yes sir mr mayor what i have is that we will set a special meeting and we'll go over the first half of the charter um and see what one or what sections the council and the community feel would be uh, beneficial to um, amend or eliminate or change uh, and then we will come back to council after working with uh, our attorneys to figure out what that language would be and what would be appropriate to go from from there and then we'll take on the second half of the charter after that thank you okay moving on to item number 16 approve code enforcement as a standalone department and recruit for department director Good evening, Mayor and Council Members. Uh, this item is coming to you for consideration of developing a standalone code enforcement department and recruiting for a code enforcement uh, director for that department. Uh, this request came from Council at the July 15th meeting to have a presentation of what it would look like to have a standalone code enforcement department. Uh, because currently that department falls under the police department and the co or the community development department. So there's a little bit of a ambiguity as to authority there. Uh, the position of the code enforcement director would be the same as the position of the community development director and the um, other director. This is a draft of, a, of the proposed organizational chart for the city of Oroville. And so the second page is the existing organizational chart for the city of Oroville. And so you'll see that it's adding a director for that department um, as a singular authority for that department with the council overseeing that director. Previously, we've had one code enforcement officer for the entire city. Presently, we have 
two code enforcement technicians, a specialist, a code enforcement manager, uh, Mr. Belser in the back of the room, who will be providing a presentation for you momentarily, and a staff assistant for that department. We also have capacity for four additional code enforcement technicians. However, we've been recruiting and have had a difficult time receiving applications for qualified applicants for those positions. So, um, but those four positions are currently budgeted and we will hopefully be recruiting again soon. So what we are asking for is, um, well, back to the fiscal impact. The appropriations for this newly um, formed code enforcement department, if it is approved, are currently budgeted in the general fund, measure U dollars, and with reimbursements available from the Cal OES code enforcement grant that was received earlier this year. So with that, I will hand it over to Officer Belser to uh, present his presentation for you. I have a question for sure. you, Don. Councilmember Goodson. Thank you. Repeat what you just said. There was additional monies from Cal. Cal OES code enforcement. Uh, in 2019, staff applied for a Cal OES code enforcement mm -hmm. grant to um, recruit additional staff for the purpose of all of the new development coming in following the campfire. Right. That's a two and a half year grant. We are requesting an extension on that grant because currently we are having a difficult time hiring a planner, a code enforcement um, technicians, the engineer, and um, uh, there's two other positions. But with that said, those grant funds would be available for another two and a half years. And so there is a sunset, so. There is a sunset. And the, the, these are one-time monies. Correct. So as we are currently staffed, those, the Cal OES funding does not touch our staff currently. We can reimburse ourselves through that funding for our two code enforcement technicians, um, but we don't have to because they are already currently budgeted through the Measure U dollars. So. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other questions before Mr. Belster speaks? Good evening, Mr. Mayor and Council. I'm here to do a presentation on the uh, code enforcement program, how it currently sits and the direction that I would like to see it go. Um, the goal of code enforcement um, currently is to uh, get voluntary compliance from our citizens and answer and um, give direction to individuals on and educate them on our city code. And it is all to enhance the quality of life in our community, the health and safety and welfare of the citizens of Orville. Um, it has been historically, the code enforcement program has been shuffled around from agency to agency, department to department, sometimes it's under fire, sometimes under police, community development, split in multiple um, departments. And the issue with that is that not every department gets the priority need from code enforcement that it desires. It, if it's under fire, it has, or has a tendency to handle all the fire issues before it handles police issues, before it handles citizen issues. And that's been an ongoing problem. And with that, you have ongoing complaints that there's no follow through with. There is a need for a standalone department in our city. As the department grows and the program grows with employees, 
management is important and answering to priority complaints uh, involving quality of life issues in our city are even more important. Uh, with a standalone department, the needs for all departments can be addressed based on priority. Uh, there would be consistent enforcement, accountability, and proper follow-through for citizens. Um, right now, um, with the help of Don Nevers and uh, several other individuals, we have an office and report writing room in City Hall where I'd like to um, see the department maintained. Um, so it's by itself and isn't pressured by other departments in the city. Um, with full staffing, code enforcement techs, our um, code enforcement supervisors, they can address reported violations of blight from the citizens at a proactive level, which will improve the quality of life to our citizens. With that said, as, report, as complaints come in, um, they are prioritized, they're issued out to employees and staff, and they are addressed. It's not something that gets lost or shuffled away in an email. It's direction that is given from a supervisor. There is an importance of uniformity of enforcement in the city. Um, we used to have four zones. Um, we continue to grow in the city through annexation. And I've actually been working with GIS and IT guys and developed five zones. And, and law states that with code enforcement, you have to equally address issues in zoned areas. And I have a copy of the zone map for you. So we're not just focused on one area, that everybody is getting equal enforcement everybody's complaints are being handled equally in the city. The idea of supervision is, um, comes with success. Code enforcement cases are very complex. Some of these can last for months. Sometimes we have to le lean on the city attorney. Sometimes we have to lean on the police department, fire department, public works, community development to see these cases through. Okay, it's important to have a supervisor that can give the proper direction. Vice Mayor Thompson has a question for yes. you. Sorry to interrupt you, but okay. just as you're going through, can you go back to the previous slide? Just as a question, as I'm looking at this, you said uh, deal with the complaints equally in the different zones. So what if there's a zone that may have significantly less or a zone that has significantly greater needs for code enforcement and, and blight? Would that how would that be managed? Because if, if we're all saying, no, we really need to focus in this area. Yeah. So health and safety becomes number one. And with full staffing, which we will get to, I have two individuals that um, have prior code enforcement experience that are interested in coming to the program. I believe we'll reach full staffing. Um, the need, the priority need in zones will be based on staffing. If, if some area needs more staffing than other, then they're going to get that. But we're not going to turn our back on, you know, Thermalito. We're not going to turn our back on downtown to address, put everybody's um, efforts into one zone. But we can uh, disseminate the right staffing into those areas as needed. Gotcha. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Riggs. Thank you. It, am I understanding it accurately that the techs would be as assigned a certain zone and that's their key zone and they work primarily in that zone and then there's some cross coverage or do all techs work in all zones? Yes. So they will um, 
will probably go from quarterly based on the amount of uh, numbers of staff that we have. And um, they will be quarterly assigned to that zone. They will get used to the streets. They'll get used to the citizens. Um, having them bounce around from zone to zone, they won't build a relationship with the right. citizens and, and the needs in that community. They won't get to know the people, be able to educate them. If they see a familiar face on a regular basis and there's a relationship and trust um, built with that person, it, you get a lot more effective. It's a lot more or a lot less effort. It's really working smarter and, and not harder Great. in that area. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Councilmember Smith. Yeah, just as a suggestion for housekeeping, um, and it's just purely a suggestion um, with this zone concept. Um, we're going to soon, you know, this came up earlier, we're going to start working on our districting maps. So I don't know how hard and fast this would be, but assuming that this process moves forward and this is approved on some level tonight, um, you know, just thinking about for representation, so uh, it, the where you, that <coughs> overlay would be the same. So the district map or zone would be the same so you know then the folks would feel like they have an advocate you know with a city council member that is, lives in that zone you know if they feel that maybe something's unfair or whatever they would have someone then that would just fit perfectly you know with each uh, council mm -hmm. member's district just a th just a thought for housekeeping simplicity yeah. and streamlining that's it thank you thanks council member goodson You had mentioned something a little while ago in regards to a, a lack of trust, and so um, folks in, in those areas that the staff would be able to um, <clears throat> build rapport, build relationships. So here's my, my thought on that. For me and where I live, it's not about trust. Um, but it's, it's we... The area that I live in, many of the landlords, they own a lot of the property, the homes. They are MIA. Mm -hmm. And so you are, so to build relationships with um, renters and um, uh, we have severe transient problems, et cetera. I'm just wondering um, how staff, aside from trust, because like a, that's, that to me is not the the concern, but how would the staff address just the basic property standards, being able to maintain sanitary conditions and provide basic safety in in their pre-existing structures, um, where their property is free of blight and vermin and abandoned vehicles. So when, when I talk about trust and I talk about people that live in the community, not the individuals that are on vacation living outside of the city of Warville, collecting their money monthly, you know, that don't have eyes on their property, trust the people that aren't afraid to let us into their house and look around and say, hey, these are the issues that aren't being addressed by my landlord. I need help. I need someone to be able to reach out to them to make these corrections that need to be corrected. That's the trust that I'm talking about. It, it is very tough. People think that code enforcement wants to run into their house, red tag everything, boot everybody out, and leave them out on the street. And that is not the direction that I've ever, ever taught or ever presented to anybody in the community when it comes to code enforcement. We want to hold the property owners accountable. We can't hold them accountable if we can't see the violations. A lot of the violations that we deal with are inside the home, whether it be lack of water, running water, <coughs> lack of power, 
you know, infestation issues, you know, poor flooring, whatever the case may be, poor structures. And so <clears throat> let me piggyback off of what you just said. Many of the, the concerns um, are within the home itself. And so you know that because of what is manifested on the outside. When you see rodents, when you see the debris, et cetera, then you, you would venture to say that there are some issues going on in the infrastructure in that home. So it starts at, at the appearance of the outside, which um, prompts you to want to visit the inside of that home. Am I yeah, it is. It is easy to send letters and correctable violations to property owners. They'll show up. They'll mow the lawn. They'll remove the junk, trash, and debris. But the main, the environment still maintains inside the home. They don't want us in that house. Mm -hmm. And and people are so afraid of losing where they live, losing the roof over their head. And we don't want to present that type of attitude or that type of direction at all. We want to help people that are living in unhealthy environments. Thank you. And will you be addressing what the training will, will be like for for this new additional staff later on in your presentation? I can I can tell you the direction that the that the trainees are going. I'm training two individuals right now that um, have been on approximately three weeks. This Thursday will be their third week. Uh, between the two of them, they opened approximately 60 cases. They've towed um, a ton of vehicles. They are learning the program. I, I teach at the um, California Code Enforcement Officers Association presentations. Um, I have took code enforcement classes. I'm training those individuals not only how to be human beings, how to treat people right, mm -hmm. but um, to get compliance from individuals. And um, their training will be as they'll be hired. Um, after six months, they'll go through a basic uh, code enforcement class put on by the state of California. Uh, six months later, they'll go through an intermediate class, and then they will go through an advanced class, um, as I see fit, based on their, their production and where they're at in the program. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. um, with supervision, um, it's easy to establish plans, policies. I um, update uh, the policies and procedures for code enforcement I have for several years now in the city. Um, the strategies that can be disseminated um, to employees. To keep people under direction when there's doubt and need of help, the supervisor guides them through problems. Um, allowing, sometimes we have a supervisor that is involved in so many things, trying to juggle so many things and so many programs that they aren't as accessible as they need to be. And if people understand with code enforcement, you're out on the street, you have the potential of violating people's rights, you have potential of sending letters for violations that aren't there. You know, someone needs to be there to give direction to make sure that mistakes aren't made and that our citizens are taken care of. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which leads us into ensuring direction. A supervisor makes sure that all instructions are communicated to the employee and understanding instructions, that it comes from a supervisor level management. What you see in code enforcement is you'll see police officers try to tell code enforcement what to do. You'll see firemen try to tell code enforcement what to do. And a lot of times the direction they're giving them is actually violating people's civil rights. And you can't have that. You have to have trained individuals 
we live in such a litigious society and with the homelessness issues that we're dealing with nowadays and the rights that are that are that our citizens have you have to be careful what you do out on the street okay. and with supervision you can avoid a lot of that um, we talk about goals being reached um, you know just in my heart my feeling with the code enforcement division we annex Southside Orville and I still don't think that they got the attention that they need or that they no I'm not yeah <laughs> They, can, they are not getting the attention that is needed, and that's just based on staffing. It, it's based on uh, training. It's, um, we're spread really thin. Our two new code enforcement techs are doing an amazing job, but when we get to full staffing, I think that, that we'll be able to, to reach some promises that were given to individuals back there, and I think that that's important. Uh, when the workers are motivated, they use resources in the best possible manner, uh, which leads to minimum waste. If you have someone that controls employees, uh, controls staff that is out on the street, and gives proper direction, taxpayers' money is not wasted. They're out there doing their job. They're not sitting in an alleyway, not doing anything, messing around on their phones. Um, you know, you got to have direction. You got to avoid waste. They got to be able to use city equipment properly, and they'll receive and have received proper training on that, which avoids um, waste. Guidance from supervision encourages workers to be more disciplined in duties and goals. Um, you know, you have to have somebody that can set an example that can teach them what they need to do. That is in direct contact. And I'll repeat this over and over again. Um, individuals that try to supervise things from behind a desk, what goes on out in the street is, is different. You, know, you can give somebody direction behind a desk if you're not there with them, teaching them, training them, answering their questions. Right? Bad things happen, poor decisions are made, and goals aren't reached. Okay. Frontline supervisors deal directly with staff. And I have known over time in my 20 years of law enforcement, it is really tough to get constructive criticism from multiple people. And if you have one individual that is in charge and can um, provide constructive citizen constructive criticism it seems to be a little easier on the employee and they seem to be um, they answer to it a little easier and can make changes and it's also important to have a supervisor there that can communicate with council or with the city administrator you know the problems that might come from um, subordinates so a person that communicate directly with council to the subordinates and the subordinates through a supervisor and the supervisor to council Um, unity and morale, the relationship with the supervisor is a very good incentive to uh, improve the motivational level of employees. Leading by example, I talked about that earlier. Um, being out in the field, showing individuals what needs to be done. You know, If you have one individual that is focused on code enforcement, not an individual that's focused on multiple different departments, the proper attention is given to employees. And at the end, the result of um, having that type of atmosphere, that type of environment, is the citizens' complaints are answered. You see improvement in the community. You see vehicles being towed. You see dilapidated homes um, being dealt with, either being rebuilt or, um, if we have to, abate the blight, abate the issue, and, and destroy the home, whatever it might take. But it's important that the, as the program grows, that someone is there directly overseeing the program. Yeah. 
Councilmember Goodson. So when you say abate, and so I'm looking at public nuisance, who gives that directive and what is the enforcement? Because that policy has been in place since the beginning of time okay. and we still continue. So I, I want to know what is the process for eradicating, not just eradicating for one day or one week or one month. What is the sustainability? How are you going to maintain um, um, Im improvement of these properties? And um, um, and and see when I can, I I I travel, and I always travel to places where there is no blight, where it's it's a thriving, surviving and thriving communities, flourishing, where where, um, and so. So how can we implement those policies here? Because that's what we want here. If I could jump in, um, I think your answer is this presentation. I mean, that's that's the key to the whole thing is being consistent. I mean, and, and doing but the see, things that we're going to do. We can't. I, I hear what you're saying. Yes, ma'am. But I I want to know consistency in what what am I going? What are the goals and what are the milestones? When are we? I believe that the citizens want the blight addressed and to, for landlords' feet, whether they're missing an action, whether they're absentee or not, held to the fire, and we see um, measurable consequences. That's what I'm asking. Mm -hmm. If I may, uh, currently, like I said, we had previously been operating with one code enforcement officer. That code enforcement officer was operating on a reactive basis. As complaints would come in, they would react to them and cite as necessary. Now we're building up that staff. We are working towards a position that we can be proactive um, with the zones and send that staff to take care of these issues on a I keep saying proactive, but on a more proactive basis, they can handle more cases. Like Officer Belser said, 60 cases have already been opened in three weeks with two additional code enforcement techs. That's great. That's a huge step forward. If we can add more techs and keep moving forward, all these issues are going to continue to clean up. And so having this as a standalone department, like Officer Belser said, and having that director and supervisor there with them in the field really bolsters up the attention that that department deserves. And so that's where I think that those issues will begin to be addressed. I have a question regularly. for you, Don. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. So out of the 60 cases, how many have been resolved? That would be a question for Officer Belser. Okay. I, I do not have that answer right now. Okay. All right. But I can get that answer for you. Thank and, you. And I think what you're talking about or what you want the answer to is what are we going to do with all the abandoned trashed homes that individuals are squatting in in areas of the city? Okay. Yes. And we have a process and procedure for that. Okay. And with proper staffing, we can focus on those homes um, in areas of the city. And it just starts with a notice and order from the city. Um, in the past, I have sent notice and orders to property owners saying, hey, in 30 days, get a permit, 
start um, get a permit for demolition demo the house I took a building official out there he said yeah this place is unsafe it needs to come down um, you know send that notice in order we had no follow-through we didn't have the money to send a crew over there to call the bluff you know hey we want this home destroyed or if not we're gonna come do it and we're gonna charge you what it cost us to destroy that home, to get rid of that home, to abate that problem. We didn't have that. We so, didn't have the follow through. And, and now we do, and we have a procedure in place that um, in code enforcement where we can send a notice and order now mm -hmm. that where we can work through um, conservatorship on the property with an individual who wants to take the property over in development after the legal system is as it's went through the legal system there is a way now there's a light at the end of the tunnel how to deal with these issues how to deal with these homes and when when i talk about these types of homes these are homes that need to be addressed by the police department these are homes that need to be addressed by the fire department and code enforcement so what i think i hear you saying is that now there's money i understand where the money is coming from for the staffing mm -hmm. um, but what i did not hear is where the the funds are going to become where the funds are going to come to abate these properties and then go through a lien process with the hope of this the city being able to um, um, resell the properties to viable investors through the legal process we can recoup our losses our cost for abating the issues in the home but in the meantime we do have funding where we can address the issue um, well, I think Councilperson Goodson, uh, to answer your question, yes, the funding comes from, for the personnel, most of it's going to come from a grant that we received for uh, personnel, so we're receiving a large amount of the okay. money for that. The money that, as far as uh, abating a home, removing it from the property, things mm -hmm. like that, we're going to have to front the money out of that for Thank that. That you. will come from the general fund, and then we will okay. attempt to do cost recovery. Right. We have been working with um, uh, Mr. Emerson from Colin Huber, who is, specializes in the uh, code enforcement area, mm -hmm. who will help us um, take these things to court and try to obtain our money from there. We also have an administrative process so that we can have an administrative hearing that Colin Huber has set up for us. So this has been something we've been working working on for many years, putting small pieces in place, and I think we're ready now to take that next step should the council choose to uh, really fully implement a code enforcement department. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate your answers as well. Thank you. And again, if I, if, if I might, pardon me, Mayor, if I might, I, just, I do want to just sort of put the public's mind at ease for a moment. We aren't taking homes. We are getting rid of code violations and public nuisances and mm -hmm. and public health violations oh, yeah. we're dealing with those issues what happens as a result of that may be that someone who hasn't taken care of their property once the liens are on it because they have neglected it for so long they may ultimately not be able to you know to to redeem that property because they have simply neglected it to a point where they they can't redeem it we're not in the business of going and taking homes, and but but we are in the business of making sure that every resident of the city has a right to a nuisance-free property, that that they don't have vermin and you know piles of garbage that that are literally up against their fence and encroaching mm -hmm. on their property. Mm -hmm. The 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 public health is 
an overarching principle here that we're that 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 code enforcement is dealing with. And so I want to I just want to make sure that 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 everyone understands, particularly the public who's not here, that we're not coming in and taking homes. Mm. We're not coming in and just you know hey right. tear that thing down. The the problems have gotten to a point where there are no other remedies available. Mm -hmm. There just aren't in last some resort. instances. That that's it. Many of these properties are at the last resort. Absolutely. And Mr. Mayor, if I could, just to piggyback onto those comments, the homes that we would most likely be making the focus of our attention first would be burned out structures. We have an issue with that in the city where there's several that are burned out that need to be uh, removed from the land that are unsafe now. It would be the second, um, well, first uh, priority as well would be those that are abandoned structures that you see that are just uh, vermin infested, packed with garbage around them and things like that. So that would be our, I believe, our two highest priorities because those both uh, raise health and safety issues. Um, so, but then uh, the department would make their determination based on that. Their call volume and caseload would be based upon the uh, reports that come in every day and you know there's the good possibility that what we think is our number one priority at 8 a.m becomes our number two priority at 8 15 because somebody let us know about something else so I, we're not i you know just to uh join in with mr huber we're not talking about going out and taking people's homes from them or anything we're talking about burned out structures and uh uninhabited dwellings that are abandoned and uh, vermin infested and full of garbage Member Pittman. Thank you. Um, I have a series of short questions to ask. It's, it's, uh, I definitely support this idea because it's a long time coming. How many, how many members of this department would there be? So you'd have six code enforcement techs. You would have a code enforcement specialist, and you would have support staff, uh, one person that does support staff, and then you'd have a supervisor or department head. So we're roughly about 10? Roughly. Okay. Um, is there adequate equipment and uh, vehicles for this group? We do not have adequate vehicles. We okay. we and um, we'll work towards that as right. need. I appreciate that because it's no good to send a nice young new code enforcement officer out there in a, you know, an old pickup that came out of public works. So yeah. I'd be encouraged to see decent vehicles for these the staff members. The other question I have is the connection between the difficulty of these this particular population that chooses to violate the code generally has uh, <laughs> their people problems and I think 80% of them are people problems is there some way that a linked access to the police department for your officers to be aware of safety concerns that might be out there on the individuals that they're going on I don't want to send somebody into a, a house that's derelict that's got a criminal record there how, how would that work as far as linking that safety issue so I um, developed a training um, program for code enforcement and as part of their training they're introduced to law enforcement uh, they are introduced to dispatch mm -hmm. they are um, taught and trained how to call about an address get the prior history there mm -hmm. okay. and then the, the determination is made whether or not law enforcement needs to be there or fire needs to be there whoever needs to be there and Councilman Pittman, I believe that we'll still maintain uh, CAD and RMS access, which is the computer system to the police department there, so that you know a check of the property and history um, of the property can be obtained by the code enforcement officers before gotcha. they. I appreciate that because I'm just digging into the presentation. Um, the troubled population that we have out there is code enforcement going to be dealing with that that say are in the parks or on <coughs> along the river, or is that 
an MLE problem with the police department. Which way is that going to go? I, I think that um, it's everybody's problem. And I think mm -hmm. working, building partnerships with individuals in the city, whether it be police, whether it be public works, whether it be code enforcement, um, reaching out to um, volunteers. I have, um, you know, support from county agencies that will come out and help us. Okay. But it, it's everybody needs to address the issues. The criminal issues need to be addressed by the police department. Right. Code enforcement issues need to be addressed by code enforcement. I can tell you that we spend over 80% of our time abating abandoned transient camps. Um, towing vehicles, you know, the, the steel market, even though it is improving, uh, individuals are bringing cars into the city and they just dump them in the street. You know, they just leave them. They cut the catalytic converters off of them and they leave them for us to tow. And that consumes a lot of our time. There's, there's reports that go involved in that and, and they're time-consuming, which takes away our focus on the houses that need to be dealt with in, in several areas in the city. Yeah, I appreciate that. I know we had a discussion with... Um Mr. Goyer, whatever his title is, and um, at that particular time as a single individual, I believe he had six to 700 open cases yeah. that were on, and there's no way one person could even attack, you know, get 10% of that. So the need is clearly here, and having as many as 10 folks to address that, I think is the proper way to look at it and uh, go after the problem. The, um, do we still have a hearing officer, or is that something new that you're being created? We actually have a contract with uh, an outside law firm that would be arranged through Colin Huber if we needed a hearing officer. Okay. Because at one time we used to have the uh, Building and Appeals yeah. Commission that appealed those issues. And I don't want to get that confused with this, but... Yeah. Usually pull people from outside other cities and other counties to sit on and, and listen okay. to cases. Yeah. So the violations would go before this hearing officer or would it go to the court system? It'll go, it, go. Hearing, hearing officer, okay. Start there, yeah. And that's one reason I want to hear that we have our own hearing officer Absolutely. because if you go out to the court system now, you're, you've got delays of scheduling that are outside of, I've, I've heard, 12 months. So we're going to have our own in-house hearing officer. Yeah, let, me, let, me, let me change the wording. The short answer is yes, but let me change your wording just a bit. Uh, because there is a requirement to have neutrality, so they're not in-house. Right. We have we have a hearing officer. We actually have a firm that has several hearing officers. On a rotational basis, gotcha. they will select one for us right. in their in their firm of their stable of individuals that do it. They will select one for us out of their firm, and and that individual is technically a neutral hearing officer. Right. Uh, does not represent the city, uh, but they are a neutral party, and and they would hear the matter. And usually issue a ruling within within five business days. Right. Not always, but usually. I think, if I remember correctly, the contract re requires it within 14 business days. And I think that's good to hear because if we try to go through our court system, it'll be forever. It'll be, it's a mess. And that's, that's one of the things that we've been booked up against because we can do our due diligence here, but if we go to another system, then we're, we're scheduling bound to not make success in these. Um, again, I'd like to, you know, look forward to seeing what equipment needs you have and safety equipment for your personnel. That certainly is a top priority because we're not only going to be successful as well as we equip, we equip the staff. So thank you, sir. Councilmember Smith. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I really like the part 
that you're emphasizing on public trust. I think of Orland, just to the north, concern that came up recently with the wells going dry. A lot of citizens up in that area are resident to report that problem because their property will be red tagged and they're fearful that they'll now be, you know, removed from their property. Uh, but there's actually support and help with that. And a lot of people don't know that, which comes back to the educational piece of really educating our community. I think that your department could go a long way, uh, you know, when you think about uh, tenants, you know, and putting up with things that perhaps they shouldn't have to put up with. Uh, so just that educational piece uh, and then building that trust, which kind of goes back to my early or comment, the more I think about the district overlap with uh, the elected, it's probably a really good idea. So people feel like they also have that as a, an appeal process as well. So which comes back to uh, the question about training, because I kind of hear like a lot of different uh, facets to this where you have co code enforcement, thinking about building, understanding building codes, you know, uh, and then being able to determine what is repairable. You know, when you look at it, for an example, there's shows that you can watch on, you know, online. People can strip a house all the way down to bare bones, you know, build it back. Um, and so sometimes what, and we all have different, uh, different, you know, windows or views how we perceive. I look at something and I see a diamond in the rough and someone else might see a pile of junk, you know, tear it down. And so... Um, and I've actually taken properties in my other life as a contractor and, you know, rehab stuff that others might have thought, oh, my God, there's no way. So there's a lot. The, the, the opinion is really wide there. So I think, you know, again, having that appeal process in place, that uh, training. And so coming back to the training that your officers would have, you know, in that building area, our real life experience, you know, boots on the ground of uh, having a background in construction or is their background more emphasized in law enforcement you know it's like what, what's those nuances there because you know one inspector and i've dealt with this you know with my work being inspected i had one inspector and he's ready to you know give me the riot act and another guy signs it off and and sometimes it looked kind of the same and so there's there's a lot of variability there and so that comes back to that public trust piece so training sensitivity um you know kind of what what does that look like um maybe help us understand so that i will tell you that code enforcement isn't going to make an engineering decision okay they're going <laughs> to yeah. go to an engineer yeah. they're not going to talk about you know give somebody direction on fire code and that's one of the the basis of their training is what they're assigned to do and don't go outside of your training and expertise and make decisions and that's why, you know, with supervision there, they, um, the code enforcement techs, our code enforcement specialists, they, they run everything through me, and we make a decision on the direction that we need. If we need to talk to a building inspector, we'll talk to a building inspector. If we need to go to the police department, we go to the police department. When we go to the fire department, we go to the fire department. Making rash decisions costs time, it costs money, and cause a lot of issues. So are they, uh, will some of them be sworn police officers? I mean, or is it? Like what's that? So what's that training look like? I mean, you just kind of give me a thirty thousand foot view. Okay, because so it kind of covers a lot of their wide training range. is going to be on the municipal code, the health and safety code involving housing, the maintenance code involving housing. So that's what their training is going to be based on. Are they going to be trained to protect themselves? Yes, they're going to be trained with pepper spray. Right? They're not going to carry tasers. Um, they they are trained to. If things don't feel right, you don't have to be there. You leave. And we don't put anybody's um, health at risk over a code enforcement case or, or any case as far as that goes. They understand, um, you know, through training 
what decisions they're allowed to make, when they're allowed to stay in a situation, or when to get out of a situation. So they're not police officers. They have no police powers. They're not going to arrest people. Um, are they going to put? Are they going to be in positions where they're going to be dealing with unstable people? Yeah, we deal with the homeless population every day, mental health issues, drug issues, and and whatever issues is going on, you know. And it's dangerous out there. And it's dangerous for them, but they understand where they need to be and where they shouldn't be. It's, and just with that, I think it's also just important to think about collaborative work, like with the ref, rescue mission. They just, I think it was something mentioned about them opening a new department. Uh, where they're helping, you know, folks, you know, through that process as well. So I think that would be really important. And all our code enforcement officers, and it's been this way for years, we provide people with pamphlets, we provide people with resources. We will get in touch with families, try to get them a bus ticket back home if they want to be with their family. You know, we, we work really hard. I run the behavioral health program here at the city, and, and I have behavioral health specialists that will go out in the field with us when we abate transient camps and deal with illegal encampments that reach out to people, try to get them off the street, get them the resources that they need, get them a driver's license back. If they have Social Security disability that um, went to fault, they will work to get their Social Security disability back and get them off of the street. Those are the things that... Um, a lot of people don't see that code enforcement does, but we care about the individuals out there and what's going on in their life and, and their life that they're living. We, we don't run in and, and take their cars and smash them from them and, and leave them out in the cold. We don't try to have that attitude to perceive um, that type of attitude of individuals. We care about people. Yeah, and that, just know, my and final that, comment on that, and that's great because you're elevating quality of life, which really improves the community for all of us and I really appreciate that and property values will be enhanced as well so really I see the long-term win for the city is that when we address these issues it elevates people's property values it means more tax revenues I mean it's just a win-win-win-win so I really appreciate uh, wherever this goes tonight I really appreciate what you do thank you Councilmember Riggs thank you um, I just wanted to echo Councilwoman Goodson's concerns about follow-through. Um, I know that many of our citizens are really concerned about seeing the follow-through, so I appreciate the effort you guys have put into creating systems that allow for good follow-through. And then in my own experience, um, I have had a very positive experience emailing your guys' department uh, and notifying you guys about situations, and you guys being very responsive in... Um, reaching back out when those are completed. So thank you so much for the diligence and for your the whole department and the burden that they've carried being such a wide burden and heavy burden and such a small team. So I really do appreciate you guys for that. Thank you. The other thing I wanted to um, address is that we talked a lot about residential units um, that need attention from absentee landlords, but I think that there's also an issue with residential or with commercial units, commercial properties that are um, also hindering business districts. I'd say specifically uh, in my work with downtown, we know that that's something that is very concerning for the downtown district and many other districts throughout our community. So uh, I really do hope that we can build a robust program that does allow us to keep uh, absentee landlords accountable for the way and the impacts that they have in our community. 
I think Councilperson Riggs, this will be a, a program too that will not only will address the environmental things you see or the building issues that you may see with a facility, but it will also give the city a tool and a mechanism to ensure compliance with use permits. It will also uh, give the city a tool to ensure compliance with zoning to make sure that a person doesn't um, hypothetically uh, take a business license for one thing and then do a completely different operation down there and it just doesn't come to our attention until we happen to come across it or someone complains. This will actually give us a, a mechanism and a tool to deal with those issues as they arise. Yeah, I see that as being very valuable for the future of our businesses. Um, and then this is going to be embarrassing. <laughs> How much does it cost to tow a vehicle? Does it cost? So, like, if are you talking about under the abandoned vehicle abatement program? Yeah, let's or? say somebody made a poor choice as an 18-year-old and left a vehicle unattended and never was responsible for such a vehicle. How much might he or she need to repay for that? Because now I'm riddled with guilt. Okay. So the the if you're talking about speaking, of course, hypothetically speaking, yeah. if you're talking if you about an abandoned vehicle. We, we don't um, go after the registered owners. The abandoned vehicle abatement program is funded by the state of California. And our cost, um, we're under contract with a tow company. And the cost for sending letters, um, time of inspection, opening cases, and the tow are refunded through that program. So I would hypothetically owe the state money? Well, I could live with that, but the city not as much? It depends. If, if the police department towed your car... And it wasn't towed under the abandoned vehicle abatement program. You might have a warrant for your arrest and not know. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll settle with. I publicly apologize for that. Council member, typically ago. what happens is the towing company that takes the car will send a notice out to the registered owner, letting them know that they have the vehicle and that if you want to reclaim it, you have so many days to reclaim it, plus what the fees are. Um, they will also typically, after that time expires, they will auction the vehicle off those funds will be utilized to cover the costs of the towing. Oh. So it's if you have not received any notices about that, it's highly likely that they were able to recover an amount sufficient enough in the sale of the vehicle that covered the costs of, of the process. Again, hypothetically speaking. Thank you. Yeah. Hypothetically, I might sleep better tonight. But when you said abandoned vehicles and I thought, oh, I hate those. Oh, no. Mm. <laughs> I just had to address it, so I apologize. <laughs> That's all. Council Member Goodson. I have a couple more questions. One, uh, and you, is it going to call you chief? I can call you chief, right? Mm -hmm. Why has the hearing officer position been in, in active status is my first out of two questions you haven't had enough staff to follow through on things to get us to that point and so now with 10 we should be able to activate that and use that on a regular basis um, our goal is to get voluntary compliance but well, uh, inevitably um, that doesn't work out 100 percent of the time so i think with this amount of staffing and um, a program such as this you're going to see that become active all right thank you um, this is to you, Mr. Belser. What would be the relationship uh, in, with the sheriff regarding abandoned homes with very intense drug trafficking? Are you talking about in the city limits? And code enforcement, uh, okay. yes. So code enforcement, there are codes of place in the city that talk about homes that 
are used for um, the sale and use of drugs and other criminal activity. So um, if a uh, property owner is renting a home to someone that is trafficking narcotics mm -hmm. or using a home for other illegal the, um, activity, the property owner is given notice about the illegal activity and encouraged to stop the activity either through eviction, you know, to remove the tenants out of the home. So that's, that's our only teeth in the game on top of, um, you know, providing information to the right sources, whether it be through a narcotics team or through the police department regarding the activity that's occurring in the home. Thank you. And just um, one other question <clears throat> in regards to uh, code enforcement developing a relationship with Children's Services Division because there are homes where a, you can just, a child, a, a welfare check yeah. is needed. So is there training in that as well? So I can just tell you a personal experience. Yeah. I, I have trained with the Drug Endangered Children's Advocacy Group all over the state of California for approximately eight years now. And a portion of our training does go towards building relationship with code enforcement. Talks about um, code enforcement, um, rules and regulations under the health and safety code and how um, you know code enforcement officers are mandated reporters so when they go into a home and see uh, a child that's endangered or around drugs or the living conditions are unsafe for the child then they are mandated to report it and that training is received by or given to the code enforcement officers okay and then this is my last question how it's okay <laughs> Each zone is staffed with how many, depending, and what is that number contingent upon? Okay. It uh, depends on our, our staffing levels. So um, if a zone, say if we're at six code enforcement technicians and a code enforcement specialist and we're at seven, some zones can be um, um, patrolled and and by one code enforcement officer where another zone might need two or three it's just based on need it's also based on size thank you mm -hmm. good answer councilmember Hatley thank you mayor uh, I the first question is for our city attorney um, it is there any <coughs> thing that in that you can foresee where the city if we're doing something with code enforcement and and these abandoned or well where people are living in in less than reasonable housing uh, that we would ever incur any relocation costs for for those people generally speaking no um, almost never um, I can tell you before you will incur relocation costs we would certainly you know raise that issue um, but these are not habitable Look, these are not habitable homes. These are typically speaking, what we're talking about are, are the priorities are burned out properties, uh, properties that are extremely substandard, where where you these are not habitable locations. Um, so you will almost ne you will almost never be in a position with the properties that we're looking at where that would even be a consideration. And I think Councilman Hatley, um, typically too, the homes that we're discussing are ones that are not going to be occupied by anyone that owns the property. Anybody that would be there would be trespassing and would be um, illegally on the property to begin with. Well, I, I know what it's supposed to do, but I just kind of know how 
Right. Sometimes it happens. Sure. You get people crying, and the next thing you know, we're paying <coughs> lots of money to have somebody moved. And and, and we would uh, certainly be very sensitive to that because we, you know, I understand what you're saying. We have had those issues, and it becomes very expensive to relocate somebody. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure that that. The other question that I have, um, well, I have two others, but uh, I believe that um, uh, Ms. Never said um, there was a grant, and it's three years for the funding and that kind of thing and my question is after the three years mm -hmm. then we're either gonna have to pick the program up or get rid of the program is that kind of where we would be like like with other grants you either or is there going to be a funding mechanism in place to assure that this is going to continue on because I need to get somebody and and be going great guns and then all of a sudden we have no money. Right. Currently, that grant covers positions that are presently funded through the Measure U dollars. So the grant, if we ended up staffing fully to six code enforcement technicians, that grant covers four of those code enforcement technicians. Currently, we have two code enforcement technicians, and that grant is used to refund ourselves for those positions. So if we fully staff up, then we would have to budget for those dollars for those positions at a future fiscal year. But at this point, the grant is used to help us refund ourselves for those positions because we're not fully staffed at the six technicians. So then Ruth would have to figure out where to get the dollars. Is that correct? What you're telling me? Yes. Okay. And, Hatley, <clears throat> and the, the individuals that we have been hiring for this are aware this, these are grant funded positions. Okay. So there is the potential of a layoff in three years. That's good. Okay. And the last, um, because we talked about equipment, the funding for the additional equipment for, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure. I know we ha we'd have to have vehicles. Sure. And what else? I know with police officers, you, you have to provide certain equipment. We, mm -hmm. we would with need code enforcement, do I you? I believe uniforms. Um, you know, we've created a report writing area for them with the technology necessary in there. There would probably be some, uh, uh, writing materials and things like that that they would need on the street. There would probably be some software that would come along with that, but personal protective equipment would mainly be it. I don't believe ballistic vests will be uh, utilized in the code enforcement department by our code enforcement officers, so uh, you're looking at a minimal amount of uh, a pants, shirt, belt, and uh, pepper spray, I think I heard Officer Belser say, and um, really not much more than that. Okay, and then the the Funding for the vehicles would come from? Well, I'm going to say it wrong, but I'm going to say it because Ruth doesn't like this, but I'm going to say the Capital Equipment Replacement Fund. Go ahead, Ruth. What is it? <laughs> well, I think that probably what we'll do in the meantime, though, is part of the budget this year included five or I'm sorry, nine new police vehicles. We'll be taking four almost new police vehicles out of service because they're hybrid and they do not work uh, for that department. So we'll be transferring those to other departments within the city and they'll most likely address the issue that exists um, in this code enforcement uh, department should the council decide to um, fund that department. Okay, thank you. Council Member Pittman. Thank you, I appreciate the program. I think it's gonna be a great asset to the community. A um, couple comments I want to make. The, the idea of tying, tying the zones to me is great for the workload necessary because like the zone around South Fifth Avenue, there's not a lot of residences. It's commercial. You don't need a lot of folks there. I think it's more important that the zones be tied to the workload versus 
tying them to uh, voting districts. I, I think that would confuse the issue. I'd rather see you as a workload analysis be much more effective and efficient that way. Um, the vehicles and the equipment, I would add, I'd really like to see them to have good communications via radio, a cell phone, whatever, because the necessary need for pictures is huge, especially if we're going to go through the the enforcement process. And, you know, everything is visual nowadays. So yeah. They have um, been issued, or they will be issued cell phones. They have We have cell phones here at the city that they will be issued. Okay. Um, they they understand. Um, they've been trained in radio, and uh, we're going to work on depending on the channel. Um, the police department is extremely busy. Um, dispatch is is very understaffed, mm -hmm. and um, you know. So we we are um, very smart about where we go and what we do right, right now, and and what we involve mm -hmm. ourselves in. If it is a situation that is uns unsafe, we will okay. take police department with yeah. us, so we do have radio and more. I was thinking about radio between each other, so they have great communication to each other. Uh, the only other observation I have, and I certainly want to see this uh, department move forward, is um, yes, it needs to have manager, supervisor at a high rank. I'm not sure I would support a department head level because that becomes an at-will position, and we'd have to recruit and go through a long process to get there. Um, and it's a department of 10, so that may get dropped off to... A shorter number based on the grant so I would support it at a high manager supervisory level uh, certainly it makes sense and I know there's a difference in process but uh, that's my thought pattern I, I think that a manager supervisor would be much more effective uh, than a department head um, that's just my take and I don't know what the rest of the council's feeling are but when you get down to the next approval uh, there'll probably be a choice for that one way or the other and my choice would be manager supervisor um, to work with um, our assistant city administrators along the way now. So, and I certainly think it needs to be a new position without question because it's a, it's a it's going to be a tough job. Yeah. Councilmember Riggs. Um, in discussing the funding for the grant funding for the positions, do you believe that that being a grant funded position that clearly closes in about two and a half to three years. Is that an issue with recruitment? Is that one of those concerns? Barriers. I, I think it would be an issue. I think it would be concern for anybody that, yeah. that is, is coming on at that level and there's potential that you know they're not going to have a job in two and a half, three years. Okay. But there is opportunity for growth in the city in other areas if, if you know, if there was a uh, situation developed where um, the funding was going to end, um, these guys are well trained, and they, there's other areas in the city that they could go that are not grant funded positions. Yeah, and as a council person, I would, even when that grant funds fund ends, like to see our department, especially code enforcement, continue to grow. Especially if you're able to achieve the outcomes that you've uh, discussed during this presentation. So. Part of me believes, well, maybe we shouldn't post those as grant-funded positions if the intention is to continue on that size and subsidize that funding with Measure U funding. I think the reason why they were posted that way was yeah. just to be really upfront and honest with people because we didn't want to catch them, you know, yeah. two and a half years from now and have to tell them that, you know, after the fact. Mm -hmm. You know, if I could just address uh, one of Council Pittman's points on this. Um, 
I, I understand the desire to not have a department head at that. The risk that you run is if you do not do that, is that this is going to be moved underneath another department, and we're going to be right back to where we started, where it's been bounced around from one department to the next, and it's not standalone. Um, I, I recognize the concern you raised. I mean, but that's kind of the reason and the rationale for why we brought this forward the way that we did. Mm -hmm. Vice Mayor Thompson. Thank you, and thank you for the uh, excellent presentation. It's a great clarification of of why it, it pretty much would be working better as a standalone. Because you know, if you hear part, of, if you only heard part of what you said, you know, you would say, "Well, this just needs to be under the the uh, community development director." But then, if you listen to another part of what you said, you said, "No, this would be." You would think, "No, this would be needs to be completely underneath the police department." Mm -hmm. And so, and I see how it's been bounced around. So, however much you know, we're talking about a lot of the minutia here, which is it's fine. But um, this is a direct reflection of our Measure U tax dollar mm -hmm. request from the community for a safer and cleaner city. So, you know, for you know, cars are the issue, or you know, employees. I'm complete favor of doing what it takes to make this city a safe place for. Our citizens and our businesses to thrive, develop, and play, and and all that stuff. So I'm I'm highly in favor of, of cleaning up this town and doing what we can to make it happen. Thank you, Councilmember Smith. Yeah, um, I just want to echo uh, something that Councilman Pittman said. I'm a little resident on the establishment for the same reasons. However, I think. Um, the point just made is is an excellent point because it does it, there's a lot of overlap you know within various departments uh which kind of goes back to my earlier comments um so it would be it would have been nice to have had included with this um you know that job description uh laid out with some of those costs so just that there's more um so we had just more Presented in the sense of what we're actually looking at with the with that department because we're essentially building a brand new department here tonight uh, That's what what I see in front of us and there's not a lot of information other than just conceptually I think we're all on board at least I'm totally on board. No um, council member Smith uh, oh. this department already exists we're bifurcating it from other departments. So okay. the, those job descriptions have already been approved by the city council. Salary schedules have been approved. Um, mm -hmm. Administrative staff um, have been hired. What we're trying to do with this report is just bifurcate it so that it is independently being operated and not under the umbrella of any one particular department. Okay. If that helps. Yeah. No, I, but I still see it. We're still establishing it, it, bifurcating, as you say, but just without actually seeing what that offer looks like or that job description it'd just been nice to have had that included in the presentation uh, and then back to the comment about um, the districting I, I would somewhat disagree with that uh, with uh, mr. Pittman and that I, I think just for simplicity where you know we're not creating all these different zones and you know this zone is that and this zones something else I think just for simple and then you can staff accordingly that's just my opinion but um, Again, I think that gets down to the minutiae of how and what that department looks like and how you manage that. So we probably won't be pressing into that, uh, actually. Um, but just the, just the same, there was just an additional comments that I wanted to make. 
Thank we'll, you. We'll make sure that as those districts come out that we try to mirror those as closely as possible. I mean, yeah. maybe not, maybe may not be able to completely do that, but we will certainly. We've heard your comments and your advice, and we'll try to mirror yeah, those. It, as closely It's just as for possible. streamlining and simplicity, so that you know I know who to go to if I don't like something that you know somebody's do, somebody's doing something to me, and I'm a citizen. And I don't like it. Right. Who do I go to? I just think for streamlining and for simplicity. Um, thank you. All right. Um, I, I've got to tell you, Officer Belser, I've, I've known you for quite a while, and I've worked closely with you, and you are one of the hardest, if not the hardest, worker we have. I, sir, admire your uh, stamina, um, dedication, all of that. I, I work closely with you and, and have since I got elected. And I've been on many of those eradications with you. And you run and manage your crew uh, with precision. And, and you are, you're not a talking boss. You are a working boss. And I, you know, my hat's off to you. And I think that I, and all of the reasons that you've stated, I've seen you get redirected and redirected and redirected to where it's so watered down that we have people coming to uh, council meeting after council meeting wondering, what are you doing? What are we, what's the council doing? What's the city doing? We're running around chasing our tail, getting redirected from all kinds of different departments. I, I believe in this. I, I believe that it needs to be standalone so you can focus on uh, what you had presented here tonight to, uh, to clean up this community. And, and I appreciate that. That's, uh, those other departments um, need to be bolstered up with the individuals that represent them. Police officers need to be police officers and, and uh, fire personnel, fire personnel, all of these things, not code enforcement running around taking care of a lot of things um, for these other departments. And uh, I'm, I'm in support of you. So Thank you. Appreciate that. Councilmember Goodson. So my concern right now is not about the department, but it's about the department head. And so from what I've been hearing and with uh, taking into consideration the, the last um, comments and remarks from the mayor, I believe that the application process is already biased and tainted. And so my question is to the city attorney. When a position is opened up, specifically a department head, um, is that are we not opening it up in in good faith to those um, applicants that are qualified? And so, what does this look like? Because what it looks like is that um, there is already advocacy for Mr. Belser to be the department head. Well, I think what is there the is, challenge here? Well, I think anytime you open up, open up a position for applications, there is a requirement that, that all applicants get a fair shake and get a fair look. 
Um, there's no question about it. And, and there is an understanding that, that, um, that the, that whoever the hiring body is in this case, the council, um, can select the person best suited for that position based on the, on the desires and the, and the wants of the council. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for your presentation. Are there any comments from the public? Mr. Mayor, we have one speaker on this item, Bobby O'Reilly. Hello, good evening. I wish I had more than two minutes to comment. However, Florida weather does not allow that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do have to take this opportunity, the one opportunity I get in a lifetime to um, uh, I'm going to use the term, Mr. Huber, I'm sorry, prove Mr. Huber wrong. So when a vehicle gets towed and impounded, it goes through a lean process. And then depending on how much the car is valued, it goes through a hold pattern. At the end of that hold pattern, the tow company can sell that vehicle for whatever it deems necessary. There's no auction period. Um, not relevant at all, but I had to take my one opportunity to be right. I'm just uh, taking that opportunity. Anyhow, being a uh, advocate of the community, being the leader of many neighborhood watch organizations and communities, um, being a family member of many that have properties in the city limits, being a uh, agent of many vacant properties in the community for family members and friends. I have to say that I've never seen anyone work as diligently and collaboratively and hard as Mr. Ron Belzer and Mr. Dave Goyer being as short staffed as they are. Uh, they implement MLE when they can. However, being as short staffed as they are, they do a wonderful and fantastic job. Um, if anyone knows me, I'm a huge uh, civil rights, uh, constitutional rights advocate. Um, they make sure to not violate people's rights uh, as often as possible um, because that's just not right. And, you know, if they did, I'd call them out too. <laughs> it's hard to get everything out that I want to say because so much was discussed and certain council members thank, talk so thank lengthy. Thank you, sir. Your time's up. Are there any other comments from the public? Mr. Mayor, that was the only speaker on this item. Okay. Having no more speakers, we're looking for a motion to approve the formation of code enforcement as a standalone department. I so move. Sorry. And begin the recruitment process for the code enforcement director position. I'm really on board for this, so I so move. And I even jumped on it early. I'll second. <laughs> Why do we have clocks on our screen? I just, all, all second. I knew you guys were going to wrestle.
Motion carries with seven yeses and zero noes. Congratulations. Um, let me turn this thing on. Ready? Okay. I, I know that, that there was a lot of nice things said about me, but there are a lot of people in the city, police officers, public works, um, people at City Hall that are amazing, the Community Development Department, engineering, that work hard every day, just as hard as I do. I'm not the only person that, mm. that accomplishes things in this city, and I just want you guys to know that. There's a lot of hard workers out there that care about our city. Okay. Hey, I'd like to clear my statement up. <laughs> we, and we realize that, Officer Belzer. thank you. Um, the, we have a, a wonderful team. But I've had opportunity to work side-by-side side with you, and I haven't had opportunity to work side-by-side side with a lot of the other law enforcement. They're usually riding in the front, and I'm in the back. So. <laughs> but anyway, you're, you're right. There are a lot of great people here. So thank you. Thank you. Mr. Right, Mayor, if we now. could, can we move to the public hearing section now? We can. Item number eight, uh, staff is act, uh, respectfully requested to continue until the, I believe it's the se September. Okay, let me, let me open the public hearing on August 3rd at 6.23 p.m. Okay, item okay, number eight is continued. Continued until the next, uh, or the second meeting in September? September 7th. September 7th. Item number nine, Mr. Mayor, is a continuation of uh, a council meeting that we had previously. There was an appellant that appealed the uh, zoning of a liquor store. Um, and during that process, it came to staff's attention and the council's attention that there was no time limit set or set up so that the appellant actually had an opportunity to speak more than two minutes that is afforded by the council. So one of the things that the council asked for during that uh, public hearing was for this to be brought back with amendments to our code so that the appellant was afforded an appropriate amount of time to present their case to council. So that's what this item, the background on it is. Uh, Mr. Irvin will give you the uh, particular detail to it. Yes, thank you, uh, Mr. Mayor, council members. Uh, as uh, our city administrator has stated, uh, we are in, have proposed here to amend uh, section 17.56.100 of our code. It's uh, up there on the screen. It's harder to read. Um, the staff proposal for the edits are in red, which has to do with allowing appellants up to 20 minutes to present his or her case and another 10 minutes to deliver any rebuttal remarks. The planning commission, uh, since it it affects Title 17, uh, heard this matter as well, and recommends that the time be changed to 15 minutes and that the zoning administrator for appeals to the Planning Commission and the Planning Commission uh, for appeals to the City Council also be allowed up to 15 minutes to explain their side of the case. So we are asking Council 
to uh, choose between 20 minutes and 15 minutes or select their own time frame and uh, to decide whether or not both sides would be given equal time to present their cases. Do we have any questions from the public on this item? Mr. Mayor, we do have one speaker on this item, Kay Castro. Good evening. I was uh, in attendance at the uh, Planning Commission meeting when that um, discussion occurred, and it was quite a lengthy discussion, and I was very impressed with the commissioners and the amount of time that they discussed it. Um, I would, uh, if tonight's discussion was appealed and you didn't have a chance to uh, give at least 10 minutes to the last hour and a half we went through, I think you'd be a little frustrated. So I would like to support that um, obviously any citizen who wants to speak, the appealing process is quite expensive. I do believe that the appellant should have time. You guys can talk another hour on how much time that'll be. But I absolutely do believe that your appointed commissioners are very valuable to the community. Um, speaking as one, um, I do know that I speak for the community. And yes, there are some lengthy discussions that when it comes to the appeals process, I do believe that the commissioner should have an opportunity to do so. I also have a very quick um, procedural question. Uh, it says first reading of the zoning code, then it says recommendation, then waive the first reading of the ordinance, 1854. I've been Googling my little fingers off trying to find that. I did find a list of ordinances that actually stopped at 1851. So I know we can't do questions and answers here, but I do hope that the seven of you completely understand ordinance num number 1854, whatever that is, and why we need to waive it. And secondly, maybe uh, it says first reading at the top, which could imply a second reading. And unless you go through this entire process, you might think there's additional discussion available to the public. Thank you. Mr. Mayor, there's one more speaker on this item, uh, Bobby O'Reilly. Hello, good evening once again, seven council members of the Orville City Council. Thank you for entertaining my dialogue this evening. I appreciate it. I also express the need for citizens, especially business owners, to be able to express their needs uh, when it comes to their businesses. This is people's livelihoods. This is their their bread, their butter, their last dollar put into their family business, their, their everything. Uh, regardless if they've been in business for one, two, or 50 years. Uh, an appeals process, especially if they are paying to have an appeals process, should include more time, as should public comment and comment on agenda topics. However, that's beside the point. Uh, if they're paying to have an appeals process, they absolutely should be afforded the right to have an extended time to explain their situation, as well as, unlike us citizens that just comment during these issues, uh, have a right to rebuttal. When council members make comments 
after we've spoken, uh, particularly some who are on the dais right now uh, in prior engagements that have made comments after citizens have spoken that are completely untrue, we have no ability to come back up and plead our case to spread the truth, to express what we mean, to do anything other than the fact of say our piece for two minutes or whatever that may be, 10 minutes uh, in an appeals process, and then we have to sit at the mercy of the dais. And that is not only unacceptable, it needs to be changed. It's, it's heartless for those who have put their... Are there any other comments from the public? Mr. Mayor, that was the last public speaker on this item. Mr. Mayor, if I could, just to uh, add uh, some information for the council to consider is that as you look at ordinance, the proposed ordinance number 1854, if you look at section uh, B uh, in blue, it'll say uh, the planning commission shall be allowed up to 15 minutes to explain their denial perspective. Uh, I would recommend that the council do not include this. Uh, the planning commission should not be advocating for their position. They had an opportunity to have a meeting where they heard it out and they gave the council a recommendation what their recommendation was. I think there was, I mean, if the council or the planning commission members choose to come to the meeting for the appellant, they certainly can utilize the two minutes that are afforded them. But to pit a, count, a planning commission member against the appellant is not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to obtain a reasonable recommendation from the planning commission body to the council so the council can make a decision. So I just worry about that. It's just something to think about. It's totally your prerogative. I just don't want to create an advocacy situation for our planning commission because that's not what their role is to advocate for a position. Yeah, and, and I'll even go a little bit further than that. Um, the hearing that comes before you as an appeal is a de novo hearing. It's a brand new hearing. So you're, you're required under the law to consider all of the facts brand new all over again. And, and I would actually argue that the, that the decision the Planning Commission made is technically irrelevant in the process. That doesn't mean that their opinions aren't valid and that they can't, they, if they want to pull a speaker card, they can do that. That's fine. Um, but where this might really create a problem is and I'm going back several years now, go back to the super Walmart that was approved. Remember who appealed that? It wasn't the project proponent. It was a separate outside group. So you had 10 minutes or 20 minutes for the appellant and I, the same amount of time for the project proponent because they weren't the appellant because the, the planning commission approved that item and then to add in another another advocacy group for the planning commission who again whose whose ruling or opinion is now being appealed would i think from a technical standpoint be improper i'm not saying it's legally improper i just think technically it's not it's not a proper thing to do having said that their opinion is important as members of the public they should be allowed to voice their opinion. They should be allowed to pull a speaker card and take two minutes and say, here's what I was thinking and here's why I was thinking it. That, they sh that should be welcomed and embraced. But I don't know that I would uh, segregate up to 15 minutes for them to do that as outlined in blue. And so I'm, I just wanted to go a little bit further than what, than what the city administrator said. Councilmember Smith. Yeah, um, 
how frequently does an appeal come up, uh, one, and then two, did you do any research to see how this is handled typically in, you know, in, other, uh, in other cities, just to kind of give us a sense of you know, customary and ordinary processes? Uh, yes, we did do some research uh, in other communities about appeals. Uh, uh, at the staff level, we looked at several communities. Uh, we looked at the uh, League of Cities. Uh, we looked at Roberts, uh, Robertson's Rules of Order. Rosenberg. Rosenberg's Rules of Order. He was a judge in Yolo County. I should have known <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and um, uh, we, we carved our recommendation based on that at the staff level. Uh, the planning commission then discussed it and uh, uh, made their their recommendations after that. Uh, I forgot the first part of your question. But just how frequently are we looking at uh, when we think about extending time and time constraints? You know, how often does uh, this come up? I mean, it, I think I've I think I've only been here I, had I, one. I've been here two years, and there have been two appeals yeah. uh, to the council. And prior to that, um, I think for the last ten years, I can think of less than five. I mean, over the Time frame. Walmart was probably the biggest one, um, but it's typically not something that's regularly appealed. And it is kind of that individual's kind of last opportunity, and it is a rather expensive process. So, I mean, I, I think certainly it's noteworthy to allow people the opportunity to make their best case. Most of the appeals have surrounded uh, outdoor advertising signs and um, around sign ordinances typically is where you'll see these appeals come from. Scott may be able to, Mr. Huber may be able to provide more. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think in, since I've been the city attorney, I recall four, um, four appeals. So it doesn't come up very often. Um, Seems like they're increasing since Wes got here. <laughs> well, that, that, that's true. The question is, is, that, is, is Wes the cause of that? <laughs> okay, Vice Mayor Thompson. Thank you. Wes, is your, can you, for my own clarification, is your recommendation both red and blue, or is your recommendation red? Our original recommendation was red mm -hmm. at 20 minutes, uh, and the Planning mm -hmm. Commission uh, rec recommends 15 minutes. And so the Planning the staff, Commission is the, is the additional blue, is that yes. correct? Yes, so staff will, will not offer a, a opinion on this. Uh, there's, there's this... Uh, a staff report and a planning commission report so so typically in the decisions like a we again we had these recently but there's typically that planning commission report already in the packet yes the uh, I will uh, add to um, councilman Smith's question uh, the time frames in some of those other other ordinances that we looked at uh, range from 10 to 15 minutes usually. I don't think I saw a 20-minute uh, in, in, the, in the, any of the uh, samples that we looked at. So you're being very generous. Hmm. Well, I would say I agree with you, Wes. Um, I was a little surprised. I had to recuse myself from that particular item and... and uh, I was surprised at how little time the uh, applicant had received. I mean, it was it was a little embarrassing. Um, I I think that it's not too much for uh, us to meet and and hear 
a uh, investor in our community, uh, no matter who it is. I mean, what is this? Uh, once a year, once every two years. This is this is very reasonable. And uh, speaking of reasonable, um, council member Goodson. Okay. okay. No, I concur, um, especially when. Uh, the cost of an appeal, correct me if I'm wrong, is twelve hundred dollars. So Yeah, so I, I agree with the twenty minutes and, and I agree with Mr. Legrone that uh the planning commission has uh pled their case. Um I I think that this is opportunity for the applicant to appeal, not to enter into a debate. So um uh, and I'm I'm assured that the Planning Commission is uh, very good at what they do, and and they would present their case very thoroughly. So I think that uh, their initial report uh, should stand on its own. Hmm. So I I would make a motion that Mr. Mayor, before you make your motion too, if I could just uh, point out to the council that in in the proposed ordinance 1854 in section A. Uh, you'll have a blue highlighted section that says a zoning administrator shall be allowed up to 15 minutes to explain his or her denial perspective. I think that uh, is spoken to by Mr. Huber. Uh, it's the same as if the Planning Commission were to be doing it. So if you're going to strike one from the proposed ordinance, you pr should probably strike both. Right. So, so my motion is to strike the blue writing. Uh, do I have to be specific with that, Mr. Huber? And to make a motion to grant the uh, appellate 20 minutes to present his or her case. Second. And another 10 minutes to deliver any rebuttal remarks. I second that. Can I ask a Brian question? You can, Councilmember Riggs. What would they be rebutting if the Planning Commission isn't speaking to it? If um, council, okay. Oh, in A, in section A. It was just in clarification. Any rebuttal? Oh, what would Any the rebuttal? rebuttal. Uh, the uh, appellant presents their case typically uh, in the public forum, and then uh, members of the public are allowed to comment and uh, make their own opinions known. After which time the applicant or the appellant is given time to rebut any remarks that. Uh, uh, might go against their case. Yeah, typically staff will just present the item very briefly. The appellant will come up mm -hmm. and and make and they're, they're the ones that make the entire argument. Councilmember Pittman. Yeah. One of the problems I have here is um, when the applicant puts, brings his case before the city council, many times there's a number of things that have changed from the case that was presented to the planning commission because they learned from the planning commission there were issues to address and it's a different case brought to the council in that appeal because they've addressed issues uh, which i certainly appreciate and certainly the applicant should have the 20 minutes necessary and then the 10 minutes to rebut but i also feel that if there's a different case then it's fair to give the the uh, zoning uh, person at least five minutes to explain that the applicant has met those needs or recommendations or at least some other period of time if you find what i'm saying is it's a different case coming before the council yes uh, it is staff's responsibility as well 
to uh, note any changes in the project and such uh, in the staff report when it gets when it gets to council. And I think that presentation of that item to the council for the appeal, the, the brief one that staff would give, would include uh, that information, Councilman Pittman, if changes had been made. Yeah. Well, that's that's why. I mean, it almost seems to me like the zoning uh, commissioners meeting with staff would, you know, attach that to it. That, yeah, changes have been made. You know, we like to see this, so on and so forth. I mean, somehow or another, the zoning, I mean, the, the commissioners need to have a weigh-in on that because it has changed, and it's what they wanted, I guess, is the word to say, and mm -hmm. we need to hear that. So I'm certain the applicant needs adequate time to present, and uh, we have cut them off way too long. So there is a motion and a second. Mm -hmm. Do we need to clarify the motion? No, sir, I think it was clear. Motion carries with six yeses and one no. Okay, moving on to item number 10. Good evening, Mayor Reynolds and council members. Um, we have the annual. Mr. Uh, Mr. Wright, before we continue on this, Mr. Mayor, we respectfully request that uh, Councilman Hatley and Councilman Pittman recuse themselves from this item. The reason for their recusals will be that uh, the uh, they own property in the area or local or close to the areas. So we have the annual assessments for the the lighting and landscape maintenance districts on the agenda tonight. We have two council members that are recused themselves. Um, on the call on Zoom is our consultant with Harrison Associates, uh, Rick Clark. Don and I work very closely with him and we come up with budgets and he's prepared for you an annual assessment report. And basically we are looking for council to approve the annual levy on the property tax roll for these districts. Do we have any comments from the public on this item? Mr. Mayor, I have not received any speaker cards for this item. Do we have any comments from this dais? Having none, looking for a motion to adopt resolution number 8974. I move that we adopt 8794. I'll second. Motion carries with five yeses and two recusals. And for item number 11, we have council member uh, Smith and Mayor Reynolds recusing themselves. So, yes. <laughs> Just for clarification for my own, because we do this every year, every right? Year. Yes. yes, every sir. year. So is there a way to like adopt it for <laughs> two years no because we change the amounts every year depending on how, ma it, it, how much resources we've spent in each no district no and it could go cuts. up or down every year depending yeah. on you know what the expenditures for each district has been mm -hmm. so it is. <laughs> there's no way we could make wording to based on such and such and yada yada to, to all right um, it, it's required to be approved every year in order for it to go on the property tax rolls. Well, I hope we can talk about this for another hour before we prove <laughs> it. So you can hold the gavel longer that way. If you like, I could give you the background on it. All right. 
So we, we have any motions on this item? Any any comments from the public? Mr. Vice Mayor, I do not have any uh, blue speaker cards for this item. Do we have any comments from this dais? Are we sure? Yes. We have a motion. I recommend that we adopt resolution number 8975. I second. Motion carries with five yeses and two recusals. And for item number 12, we have Councilmember Hatley recusing himself. Hey, believe me. Here you go. I'm out. <laughs> okay, item number 12 uh, annual assessments for the city's consolidated benefit assessment district zones one, four, and five. Is that you, Ruth? <laughs> yes, um, sure. So, again, we have the annual assessments. Our consultant is on the Zoom call. If you have any questions, this is something we do annually. We change the rates um, depending on how much resources we spend in each district. So we're just looking for council to approve this item so that we could place it on the property tax roll. Are there any questions from the public on this item? Mr. Mayor, I have not received any blue speaker cards on this item. Are there any questions from this dais? <clears throat> Having none, looking for a motion to adopt number 8982. So, so moved. moved. I second. <laughs> motion carries with six yeses and one recusal. For item 13, we have Councilmember Pittman and Councilmember Smith recusing themselves. This item is the same as the last one for the city's consolidated benefit assessment districts. Looking for council's approval so we can place this on the tax roll. Do we have any comments from the public on this item? Mr. Mayor, I have not received any blue speaker cards on this item. Are there any comments from this dais? Having none, I'm looking for a motion to adopt resolution number 8983. So moved. Second. Motion carries with five yeses and two recusals. Okay. Moving on to reports, discussions, correspondence, council announcements. Are there any? Uh, having none, moving on to future agenda items. Councilmember Pittman. Thank you, sir. Um, there's a future agenda item I'd like to uh, place on a future agenda item that basically would look forward to a um, an item added to the next city election with a question on the ballot. 
for the following voters, and the question would be, do the citizens of Orville wish City of Orville Public Safety Services, a police and fire department, be contracted out to other agencies with a simple no and yes? And I'd like to ask the staff to look at what that would involve and uh, as an advisory so the voters could weigh in on that topic. And I believe there might be some other council members that might be interested in seeing that agenda item brought forward. Are there any other council members that wish to put anything on the agenda? Having none, looking for administration reports. Mr. Legrone. I have none this evening, Mr. Mayor. Oh, who do we have? Do you have anything? I do have a report. I have uh, this morning we hosted the job walk at the public safety facility and it was well attended by many contractors. So I am encouraged that we will have several qualified bids to get that project complete in the near future. Great. Thank you. Ruth? Still working on our RFPs. I have three RFPs out right now. Um, just gathering data and, and scheduling demos and just a normal finance department things that we'll put on the next department report. Thank you. And with that, we will adjourn until August 17th, 2021 at 4 p.m. And I will close the public hearing as well. <laughs> <laughs>